It is not unusual for couples to discuss the possibility of earning more money, but a conversation on this subject from around the 8th century B.C. is of some special interest, as that conversation is recounted in the Sanskrit text Brihadaranyaka Upanishad. A woman named Maitreyi and her husband, Yajnavalkya, proceed rapidly to a bigger issue than the ways and means of becoming more wealthy. How far would wealth go to help them get what they want? Maitreyi wonders whether it could be the case that if the whole earth, full of wealth, were to belong just to her, she could achieve immortality through it. No, responds Yajnavalkya, like the life of rich people will be your life, but there is no hope of immortality by wealth. Maitreyi remarks, What should I do with that by which I do not become immortal? Maitreyi's rhetorical question has been cited again and again in Indian religious philosophy to illustrate both the nature of the human predicament and the limitations of the material world. I have too much skepticism of otherworldly matters to be led there by Maitreyi's worldly frustration, but there is another aspect of this exchange that is of rather immediate interest to economics and to understanding the nature of development. This concerns the relation between incomes and achievements, between commodities and capabilities, between our economic wealth and our ability to live as we would like. While there is a connection between opulence and achievements, the linkage may or may not be very strong and may well be extremely contingent on other circumstances. The issue is not the ability to live forever on which Maitreyi, bless her soul, happened to concentrate, but the capability to live really long without being cut off in one's prime and to have a good life while alive, rather than a life of misery and unfreedom, things that would be strongly valued and desired by nearly all of us. The gap between the two perspectives, that is, between an exclusive concentration on economic wealth and a broader focus on the lives we can lead, is a major issue in conceptualizing development. As Aristotle noted at the very beginning of the Nicomachean Ethics, resonating well with the conversation between Maitreyi and Yajnavalkya 3,000 miles away, wealth is evidently not the good we are seeking, for it is merely useful and for the sake of something else. If we have reasons to want more wealth, we have to ask, what precisely are these reasons, how do they work, on what are they contingent, and what are the things we can do with more wealth? In fact, we generally have excellent reasons for wanting more income or wealth. This is not because income and wealth are desirable for their own sake, but because, typically, they are admirable general-purpose means for having more freedom to lead the kind of lives we have reason to value. The usefulness of wealth lies in the things that it allows us to do, the substantive freedoms it helps us to achieve. But this relation is neither exclusive, since there are significant influences on our lives other than wealth, nor uniform, since the impact of wealth on our lives varies with other influences. It is as important to recognize the crucial role of wealth in determining living conditions and the quality of life as it is to understand the qualified and contingent nature of this relationship. An adequate conception of development must go much beyond the accumulation of wealth and the growth of gross national product and other income-related variables. Without ignoring the importance of economic growth, we must look well beyond it. The ends and means of development require examination and scrutiny for a fuller understanding of the development process. It is simply not adequate to take as our basic objective 
just the maximization of income or wealth, which is, as Aristotle noted, merely useful and for the sake of something else. For the same reason, economic growth cannot sensibly be treated as an end in itself. Development has to be more concerned with enhancing the lives we lead and the freedoms we enjoy. Expanding the freedoms that we have reason to value not only makes our lives richer and more unfettered, but also allows us to be fuller social persons, exercising our own volitions and interacting with, and influencing, the world in which we live. In Chapter 3, this general approach is more fully proposed and scrutinized, and is evaluatively compared with other approaches that compete for attention.